Well, welcome back to session two of Read Scripture Well. In this and in the next session, we're going to be looking at some hurdles that we have to get over in order to read, interpret, and understand Scripture really well. Some things that, we, that can sort of get in the way, and we just have to learn to get past them. Today, we're going to talk about culture. We're going to talk about our culture, our current culture that we're in, as well as the culture of the times when the Scriptures were written. Culture is defined this way on Wikipedia, the social behavior and norms found in human societies, as well as the knowledge, beliefs, arts, laws, customs, and capabilities. That's a rather complex definition, but culture is a rather complex thing. I have, however, heard it uh, boiled down to one simple phrase, it's the way we do things. It's the way we do things around here. You know, every organization has its culture. Every family has its culture. Every city has its culture. Every country, uh, ethnic groups have their culture. Um, you know, sporting teams have a particular culture. Arts groups have a particular culture. Business groups have a particular culture. Just the way they do things, the way they approach things, the way they think about things. And it's not that it's wrong or right. It's just we have different ways of doing things. But it's important to realize that there are different cultures and they are valid, okay? So one of the hurdles that we have to get past as 21st century Christians is projecting our cultural norms on the past because this is just a completely natural thing to do. We've grown up in our culture, we have lived in this time, and we have heard all our entire lives, our culture. We have absorbed it. We think the way our culture thinks generally. Again, there are lots of variations from person to person, but there's sort of a general ethos or a spirit or characteristic of a culture, and we're all in, imbued with that. And we can't really escape it, but it's important that we at least recognize it. We have to understand something. God is not a product of our culture. In fact, God is not a product of any culture. God is outside of culture. God is not limited by our culture. He's not limited by the way we see things and understand things and do things. And his word is not a product of our culture. Supernaturally speaking, it is not a product of any culture, although we have to recognize that it came through a culture. Very important for us to recognize that because our natural tendency will be to impose or project our cultural norms on what we read here. We look at the ancient Israelites and we think, oh, wow, why did they do that? That's weird. Or we look at some of the New Testament practices. That's weird. That's different. Why? They shouldn't do that. That's, that's, that's kind of silly. We, we tend to think that way sometimes. But that's not good reading, unfortunately. But what's really necessary is to look at it for what it is, rather than to see it just completely through our lenses. <clears throat> Let me give you an example. We, uh, we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, Paul talks about the importance of dressing modestly. Now, what do you think that means? And if you ask people around you, what do you think that would mean? In our culture, what does it mean to dress modestly? Well, probably you think it means covering up enough of your body so that you're not showing too much of your body to be a temptation to other people, whether male or female. Probably that's the, the take you're taking. And, you know, there is definitely an element of that, and quite probably that's partly what Paul talk, was talking about. 
But quite likely, he was actually more focusing on something else. He was actually talking about financial modesty. Because if you read it in the context, you'll say, you know, don't wear the fancy hairdos and all the earrings and all the, you know, glitzy fashions and everything, because there are people in your church who don't have that kind of money. And you will start creating this class structure in your church just based on what you're wearing. And he said, don't do that. Don't, don't use your wealth to, put, to unintentionally put other people down. Be modest. Don't display all your wares, as it were. And so, while we can take it one way, it's entirely possible that the Apostle Paul meant it another way as well. And so, this kind of thinking can lead to all sorts of false assumptions, and I will say also projecting very negative ideas on the people of the time, because we read about slavery. You read it all through the Old Testament. You read it through the New Testament as well. We have come to the point in society where we understand slavery is wrong, and we want to do everything we can to abolish it. The Bible wasn't written in our time, though. The, the Bible was written in a time when slavery was the norm. It was the norm all over the world for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So when Paul talks about slavery, he's not specifically condoning it and saying, hey, this is awesome, let's keep doing it. He just said, if you are a slave, here's a way to take your Christianity into your slavery. But if you're a slave owner, here's a way to take your sla the slavery into, or excuse me, take Christianity and make sure that it's an important and integral part of every aspect of your life. Now, this, in a sense, doesn't make sense to us now, but it made perfect sense to them at the time. And it's just important that we don't look back and say, ooh, Philemon, I've read that book, and Paul was talking about him, and he was a slave owner. Therefore, he's a terrible person, and there's nothing I can learn from him. And Paul talked about slavery as if maybe it was okay, so I can't learn anything from Paul. You know, we live in what we call a cancel culture. If you hear someone say something, one or two things that are, are highly disagreeable to you, you can just turn them right off and say, they're useless. Everything they have to say is nothing to me. Nothing, there's no importance to me at all. We just have to be really careful how we do that, especially looking back in history, because they had a whole different cultural outlook, whole different cultural understanding. Now, I can still look back and read Scripture understanding I disagree with slavery. I disagree with women being under men. There are a lot of things that I disagree with in the cultures that we read about in Scripture, but I can still learn from Scripture. Very, very important. This is very common today. You've probably noticed it. Looking back in history and finding people who have done wicked things, and therefore we kind of want to expunge them from history. We want to just completely wipe out their memory. And I get it. Like, I understand we don't want to remember or, or glorify, I guess, these people to a certain extent. And I get that. But it's also important that we learn from them because most of these people actually had some good attributes as well. So we just have to have a balance in what we uh, and, and how we look at it. But th this has been a tendency for humans all along. C.S. Lewis, back in the 50s, he called it chronological snobbery. So this is 70 years ago. It was common. People looked back and they imposed their ethics and their morals and their views of culture on writings of the past, and they poo-pooed them simply because they, didn't, they, they weren't up to our standards. And he said, this is snobbery. You think you're better than those people. He said, you need to be careful about that. 
And in fact, St. Augustine, back in the 400s, wrote exactly the same thing. He said, you can't impose your values on something that, a culture that lived two or three, four, five, six, eight hundred years ago. They had different values. And you need to understand that. You can disagree with them, but you can also learn from them as well. Now, here we are, 21st century. If you're like me, you're a Western 21st century. I, li- I live in uh, a democracy. It's a capitalist democracy. Sort of the spirit of the age is individualism. Uh, and it's really easy for people to try to filter Jesus' teaching through Western, individualistic, and capitalistic eyes. But you know what's really important? Jesus was not Western. Jesus was not an individualist, and he was not a capitalist. That might be a surprise to you. Jesus was not Western, he was not an individualist, and he was not a capitalist. And so, while, how do I say this? We have our own understanding of a lot of different ethics and values and morals because of that, we need rather to look at Scripture to find ethics and morals and values and then work them into my, into my culture, into your culture, and hopefully into the culture around us as well. Now, the church, just like any organization, has created its own culture. In fact, it's created all sorts of different cultures and subcultures, and these cultures affect the way we read Scripture. We tend to filter Jesus' teaching through our interpretation of certain theological concepts. This might have to do with Jesus' teaching on marriage. It might have to do with Jesus' teaching on money. It might have to do with his teaching on the end times. We all have our views of how those things are going to play out and God's uh, intention for them and God's uh, thoughts on them. But we have to understand, Jesus didn't say these things with us in mind. Like, Jesus didn't speak with my theological concepts in mind. He spoke the truth of God. And there are two sides to this about about sort of imposing our interpretation. Uh, First of all, it's a good and necessary thing to do. We we have to do this. We have to get some general concepts about the Word of God, uh, what we, you know, call doctrine, if you want to call it that, teachings, what we really believe to be true and be firm in those. And we have to see how one scripture connects to another scripture to help us bring uh, bring a fuller understanding and interpretation. So that, for instance, if you read in the Gospel of John, Jesus answering his critics, and he said, before Abraham was, I am. Well, without a greater understanding of scripture, if you just look at it for what it says, you might think, well, that's kind of a strange thing to say. He got his tenses mixed up for one thing, and then, like, he didn't live hundreds of years ago. And, of course, the, the um, Pharisees he, were talk- he was talking to kind of thought the same thing. But for us, what we can do is now get a broader picture and put it in a scriptural context and take this I am. Well, what does I am mean? Well, this is how God identified himself to Moses at the burning bush. Moses said, who do I say you are? I am. So this was God's calling card. This is, this is his identity. So when Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, all the Jews understood exactly what it meant. And when we can put it in the theological context, we can understand he was equating himself with God. So it's good that we look at Scripture through certain theological lenses. However, it can also be a problem because it can actually keep us in the dark if our theological lenses 
aren't very good, aren't very accurate. Even though we think they are, they might not be. And the problem about being in the dark like this is we think we're in the light, but we're actually, we can be in the dark. Here's an example. Um, we know from John chapter 1, you probably know John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, you may or may not know that the Jehovah's Witnesses use a different translation of Scripture than we do, and they translate this verse differently, just ever so slightly differently. It's got one more letter in it. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Oh, well, that's different. In fact, that gives a completely different viewpoint to it. And it gives the picture that where, where it says, in, in, and say, I've got the NIV here, it says the word was God. Well, the word we know is Jesus. John makes that clear in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, um, John is showing Jesus is God. He always has been God. But in Jehovah's Witnesses thinking, no, the word Jesus is just a God, another of other gods. That's a whole different viewpoint. And here's what happens. We will read Scripture with that in mind. Jehovah's, will, Jehovah's Witnesses will read all of the New Testament with that in mind, that Jesus is a God. He's not God. He's a God. And so, that's a fairly extreme one. That's talking about what most of us would not consider Christian doctrine because it is an orthodox Christian doctrine. However, we can all have um, shades of understanding certain interpretations of Scripture that probably aren't super accurate, and yet we allow those to affect how we read everything. We reread everything through those filters. And so, this is where we need the wisdom of others because there's no way I personally can look at the Word of God, read it, and understand it completely. I need help. You need help. And so, fortunately, we have a vast amount of help. We need the wisdom of others, and we need the wisdom of the ages, because there have been brilliant, insightful, prayerful, godly men and women writing about Scripture, helping us understand Scripture, and they've been doing this for 2,000 years. And so, it's just important for us to rely on that wisdom. This is part of the strength of the body of Christ, that we are here for one another. We are here to help supply that life of God to one another and to help the weak where they are strong and where we're weak, others can strengthen us. And so, this is where wisdom comes in. So, this is why I think it's important to read books about Scripture, read commentaries and study Bibles. And yes, you'll read some that disagree with one another, and that's why I say it's good to read uh, a variety of interpretations as well. That will help you arrive at a good interpretation for yourselves. So, while it's, it's, it is really, really important for us uh, to recognize the characteristics both of the culture of the biblical stories, that we have to learn a little bit about the culture of the Old Testament and the surrounding Middle, uh, uh, Middle East uh, in ancient times. We need to understand a little bit about the culture of the Greeks and the Romans around the uh, time of Jesus' birth so that we can get a, a, an, a, an understanding of why they said what they said and did what they did. Why did they behave the way they did? Sometimes it's strange, but understanding the culture helps. So, it's important for us to know that, but it's also really important for us to be able to identify characteristics of our own culture, both the culture at large, 
that we have grown up in, but also perhaps our church culture, to know what is our tendency? Where do we lean? Uh, what do we believe about this? What do we tend to focus on? And as we do that, that will help us get a more well-rounded view of Scripture. And again, as I say, commentaries and that kind of thing will help a great deal with this. This isn't easy because culture is something that we live in, and it's hard to sort of get outside of it. Um, but the more you read, uh, especially as, as, as you read the literature of the ages, that helps you just understand human beings, different human beings who think differently than we do. And it helps us then to actually read Scripture with a little bit more of an objective viewpoint. So, uh, thanks for listening to this session. Our next session, the third session, will be on inerrancy and literalism. I think you'll probably find that one very, very interesting. Hope to see you then. Thanks very much.